Well, I tell you what. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, and today is the last message in this series on resurrection. And the theme of this uh, eight-week series has been the resurrection is central to the Christian faith. It's essential. And so um, this is the last uh, message, the last verse of chapter 15, which says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is, message is entitled, In the Meantime. In the Meantime. Uh, my eighth grade teacher's name was Mrs. Armand Trout. And uh, Mrs. Armand Trout was, um, came from a from a very wealthy family. She grew up in New York City, grew up in Manhattan, and she came to North Carolina uh, after she completed college uh, to teach uh, biology, and she was my eighth grade biology teacher. She was an excellent teacher, and the interesting thing about Mrs. Armentrout is that throughout my whole eighth grade year, she never missed a class. She never missed a day. She was there every day, but, but there, there was one day in particular that Though I remember, and I'm sure most of my classmates remember, is that um, she, she, she called the class to attention at the beginning of the class, and she said, I am going down to the principal's office, and I have to have a meeting with the principal, and I will be back before the bell rings. And she said, in the meantime, I want everybody to take out your biology books, and I want you to turn to chapter 3. And I want you to read chapter 3, and I want you, after you've read the chapter and completed reading the chapter, at the end of the chapter, there's a, 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 a list of questions. I want you to complete the assignment at the end of chapter 3. And if you finish your assignment before I return to the class, you can begin your projects. We had a project on the circulatory system. She said, if you have not completed your projects, you can complete your projects on the circulatory system. And if you've already completed your projects, and if you complete the assignment at the end of the chapter, then you can help one of your fellow classmates with their work. And he said, but um, I, I want everybody to uh, follow my instructions while I'm gone. And she would ask this question. She would ask us, are there any questions? So, so before she left out of the room, some of y'all can relate to a scene like that. Before she left out of the room, and this, I don't know if they do this now, but uh, back when I was going to school, they used to do things like this. The teacher said, now, uh, Nancy is in charge while I am gone. She said, and if any of you have any questions, any concerns, anything that you can't figure out, I want you to refer to Nancy, and she will help you while I'm gone. And so Mrs. Armentrout left us in the class to complete the assignment that she had given to us. And we had to complete that assignment in the space of what she called in the meantime. Now, this period described as in the meantime was the only space of time in which Ms. Armentrout had given to us to complete what she instructed us to do. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. There were students in the class who did not believe Mrs. Armentrout. They did not believe that she had a system of checking behavior, even though she was not in the class. There were some students who did not believe that Mrs. Armentrout was going to return before the bell rang. 
And then there were some students who uh, did not believe uh, that Mrs. Armentrout had really left Nancy in charge. Amen. And so, um, we, so you can imagine what happened in class, particularly amongst those who did not believe. Now, we never knew. We didn't know how long she was going to be gone because she said this at the beginning of the class. But she told us that she would return before the bell rang. And it just so happened that Mrs. Armand Trout did come back. She came back to the class just before the bell rang. And we discovered that the reason that she was gone, the reason that she met with the principal was because at the beginning of the school year, she had promised to take the entire class on an end-of-year trip to New York City. I told you she was from a very wealthy family. She was from New York City. She grew up in New York City. And she had promised that our end-of-the-year trip would be uh, that the whole class would go to New York City. But the problem was that most of the students in the class could not afford to pay for what it cost to travel to New York City. So thus she went to the principal's office to talk to the principal because she had come up with a scheme. And so what she had done is from the beginning of the year up until May of that year, she had saved all of her paychecks and because she really did not need the money that she was getting paid to teach. And most teachers can identify what I'm talking about. Yeah, and she wasn't being paid a lot of money to do a great job. And so she had saved, this is crazy, she had saved all of her paychecks. And she had gone to the principal's office to try to broker a deal with the principal. If I pay for the trip, will the students then be permitted to go? And so she came back with permission from the principal to pay for the trip for all of the students who were in the class. Strange, strange, strange. Well, Jesus came into this world to teach us and to prepare us to live in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, as we said on last week, is the rule and the reign of God in our lives. The kingdom of God is where we intentionally, somebody say intentionally, yeah, we intentionally and we progressively relinquish our control over our lives, and we give that control to God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus taught us and modeled for us how we are to live. Then Jesus died, and he paid the price for our sins. In other words, he paid our entrance fee into the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. And see, it was on a Friday that he died and was buried, and after that, he was resurrected. And Paul takes uh, 57 verses in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians to talk about Jesus' resurrection. So he was buried, and then he was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he told his disciples, I'm going to go and have a meeting with the Father. I'm going to go to the Father. And, but I'm going to be back before the bell rings. And in the meantime, I want you to complete the assignment that I have given to you. I want you to go and to make disciples of all men 
And then I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And after you have made disciples and after you have baptized disciples, if you have completed that, and then I want you to then teach them everything that I have taught you. And he says, and I'm going to be with you even until the end of the age. And so it, this means that in the meantime, and that's where we are now as a church, we're in this period called in the meantime, we the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers, the, what the Bible calls the household of faith, we are to remain faithful to God by committing ourselves to worship, study, prayer, fellowship, and service. Somebody say amen. God has called us. In other words, these are not options. This is not Morrison Cafeteria where you get to pick and choose what it is that you want to eat. No, this, this is mandatory. We are called to serve the sick. Somebody say amen. We are called to visit and serve the widow, to, to serve the orphan, to serve the homeless, to witness to the person unfamiliar with the love of God. In other words, Christians don't have the option to choose which of these things I will do. It is the complete package uh, that God has given to us as our assignment in serving him. And so just like Mrs. Armentrout, Jesus is going to return before the bell rings. And when he comes back, he's going to examine and analyze and inspect how faithful we have been to the assignment. Now, we don't know, we don't know the exact time of his return. But in the meantime, he has instructed us to stand firm. He said, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully. Somebody say fully. In other words, he says, I don't want any half-stepping servants. Yeah, I don't want any ambivalent and equivocating servants. He says, I don't even need anybody trying to figure out where to serve and how to serve. He said, I've already predetermined that. Or just turn to chapter 3. And there's an assignment at the end of chapter 3 of what it is you are supposed to do. You don't, look, you don't even have to pray about the what so much. All you have to do is determine whether or not you will. You may have to pray whether or not you're willing, but you don't have to pray about the what because God has already clarified that for us. And so he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because, and here's the thing, you know that your labor, wish we could say this for all labor, but he says your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, all of this talk about the resurrection in these first 57 verses of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians over these past seven weeks boils down to what Jesus wants us to do in the meantime. And he wants us to stand firm. He wants us to let nothing move us. He wants us to give ourselves fully and completely uh, to the work of the Lord. Now, there are three things that I want to share with you today as we conclude this series about how to stand firm and what to do in the meantime. 
first thing is maintain your belief in the resurrection. Now, you remember the main issue in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is that many people in that congregation had already stopped believing in the resurrection. And so the first thing, you want to stand firm. You want to let nothing change your mind. In other words, the King James Version says, Minister Massey, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. It says, be unmovable about your belief in the resurrection. Now, this is not just a statement of faith, but it is also a statement of conviction. Now, let me see if I can explain what conviction is. Conviction is more than belief. Conviction is belief plus behavior. You need to write that. Somebody tweet that for me. Yeah, yeah. Belief, uh, a, convic- a conviction is more than what I believe. You see, because the Bible says the devils believe and they even shaking their boots about it. But, but, but conviction is belief combined with behavior. Conviction is more than a statement of faith. Conviction becomes a statement of loyalty. Conviction is this. Um, some of the old saints know about this. The conviction is, I shall not, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree standing by the water. Other stuff might be moved, but I'm going to stand right here. That is conviction. Conviction is this. This is how it sounds about the resurrection. I know it has been 2,000 years since Jesus said that he's going to return. And I know that it does not look like, if you look at the number of days that have passed, I know it seems like he's not going to return. But irrespective of what it looks like, my conviction is that Jesus shall return and I shall order my life and live my life out of my conviction. In other words, in other words, I'm going to hold on to my conviction, even if it does not appear to make sense. I want to talk about this for a minute. You see, as a Christian, there are going to be some times that you're going to have to agree with your critics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to agree with your critics because your critics are going to say this. It doesn't make sense to keep believing in the resurrection. After all, it's been 2,000 years, and he's not back yet. And I would agree with my critics. It does not make sense. In other words, let, let me tell you why it doesn't make sense. If you told me that you're going to be back, and it took you 2,000 years to get back, I would have been gone. Come on, I wish I had some. Listen, if you didn't come in two minutes or two hours or two days, we'd be done, right? And so here it is, Jesus has not returned in 2,000 years. And so here it is, when you talk about conviction, there is always something irrational. Oh, y'all not feeling it. Yeah, I'm saying it doesn't make sense. It's something irrational about conviction. In other words, there is something so irrational about refusing to change my mind. In other words, that's what conviction is. I I don't, conviction is this. I know what I see. I know how long it has taken, but I refuse to change my mind. Even if the culture says change it, if the community says change it, if the clock and the calendar says change it, my conviction says that I am to stand fast and hold my position because I'm going to stand on the belief that he's coming back. And this is the type of conviction that Paul is asking us to have. 
He says, I'm not asking you to have the type of conviction that makes sense to the world. I'm not asking you to have the type of conviction that you can explain. He said, I'm asking you to have an irrational conviction. You don't think it's irrational? Let me give you an illustration. This was demonstrated in the life of a man named Polycarp, who was one of the second century saints. Polycarp was bishop of a place called Smyrna. If you read in the book of Revelation, Smyrna was one of the places where Jesus wrote one of the letters to one of the seven churches. And Polycarp was one of the bishops of, was the bishop of Smyrna, and Polycarp was arrested because he refused to worship the idol gods. And so his penalty was to be burned at the stake. Now, the only thing that Polycarp had to do in order to be freed from his imprisonment was to say, I was just joking. Yeah, that's all he's saying. He said, I, I didn't mean everything. I believe in Jesus, but not as much as I said. And they would have released him. They had him tied to the stake. They had the matches. They had the, the torches. And they said, Polycarp, what do you have to say? And these were Polycarp's words. Listen, it doesn't make sense when somebody's getting ready to torture you. But he says, for 86 years, I have served him. And he has done me no wrong. Now, it looks like I'm going to suffer, come on now, for serving him. But be that as it may, I'm going to stand firm, even if it costs me everything. And this is the type of faith that God is asking us to have, even when it does not make sense to trust him. Trust him any while. Even if your own mind says it does not make sense, your convictions say stand firm. Let nothing move you. And so that's the first thing. Maintain your convictions and your beliefs. Now, but it gets a little deeper than this. Because for Polycarp, the catalyst to change his mind came from outside of the church. But that's not the strongest catalyst. You see, the problem with Christianity is not unbelievers. The problem with Christianity are those who call themselves to be believers. I wish I, I wish I, yeah, y'all not feeling me. Yeah, you see, the reason folks quit church and stop trusting God and stop believing in God is not because of unbelievers. But the reason most people stop serving God and stop being loyal is because of their experience with folks who call themselves believers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here we had people in the church at Corinth who had stopped believing in the resurrection. It wasn't because of the influence of the outside world, but it was because of what was going on right there in the church. Look at here. It doesn't take much for people to quit church. Yeah, all you got to do is not speak to them one cup. You don't speak to them two or three Sundays, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just telling you if, you, if you, if you fool around and ignore them and act like they're not there for two or three weeks, they're going to brand the church as mean and insensitive and not caring. But listen here, you ought not be in church. I, I don't mean to be uh, anti-hospitality, but the only reason you come to church ought not be for somebody to speak to you. Can I get some help in here? In other words, you ought to speak to somebody before you get here. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what'll kill you. Have a little talk with Jesus. Have, tell him all about your troubles. Jesus will hear you, your faintest cry. Yes, yeah, it doesn't take much for folks to stop serving God. And the church at Corinth, let, let me tell you, let somebody who's saved make a mistake. 
And Lord in heaven, please don't let it be a pastor. Please don't let it be a preacher. Please don't let it be somebody who leads the praise. Don't, don't let it be somebody. We, don't let them make a mistake. Now, I can make a mistake. I can have some problems, but don't let anybody else have one. And many people will stop serving God because an imperfect, flawed human being, which they already know is imperfect, already know is flawed, because the flaws come out. Yeah, you ought not be all right with me because my flaws are concealed. Oh, y'all not feeling me. <laughs> yeah, you all right with me. You love me. You like hanging around me as long as my flaws are concealed. Can I help somebody in here? Look at here. Who are you looking at right now? Who's preaching the gospel to you right now? Who's telling you the word of God right now? I ain't got it all together. I've got some stuff in my life. I've got some issues in my life. I've got some. I just got it on lock. Can I get some help? But if it happens to come out, it's the same me. It's the same me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so in the church at Corinth, folks had stopped believing in the resurrection. And you know what it was, Sister Flowers? It's because the church was a messy church. It was a mess. You had folks who had divisions over the leaders. I like to hear Pastor Lomax. No, I like Pastor Taylor. No, I like Minister Massey. No, I like to hear Minister Todd to preach. Well, who's preaching this? There was divisions over the leaders. Secondly, there were people who called themselves spiritual giants. And then there were other people who were spiritual dwarfs. There were some folks that was in the word all the time. And then there were some people that could not find a Bible. I'm not talking about a verse in the Bible. Couldn't find a Bible if their life depended on it. And then you had a case of incest in the church where a dude was going with his stepmother. And then you had lawsuits amongst the believers. I'm talking about right there. This is one church. And then you had sexual immorality in the church. You had single folk that couldn't keep themselves while they were single. You had married folk that were sick and tired of the same spouse. And all kind of junk was going on. I'm just saying this was one church. There, were, there, there was abuse about the, They couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right. Couldn't even serve the Lord's Supper without messing that up. And you had all this stuff going on right there in one church. And whenever saints live messy lives, it's subject to discourage other saints for living for Jesus. But let me tell you something. If I were you, I would take Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, and not allow the messiness of somebody else's life to persuade me not to live my life. You see, because here it is, here it is. Somebody else's mess is never a problem for you. You see, what's a problem for you is your own mess. I wish I had some. Yeah, you see, because what somebody else is doing does not disrupt your relationship with God. The reason somebody else's mess causes you to disconnect from God is because your connection was not really all that tight in the first place. You can't live your life depending on the faithfulness of somebody else. You are called to be faithful. You are called to walk with God. Number two, maintain your service to the risen Savior. Number two, first, 
Hold on to your conviction. Hold on to your belief about the resurrection. Second, maintain your service. It says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let me give you the Wayne Lomax translation of this verse. It's this. God expects every believer to be fully engaged in the Lord's work. Not being engaged means you're not right. If you're not serving, that means that something is not right with your relationship with God. Service is not an option that you can edit out because life is inconvenient. Y'all not feeling me? In other words, I can't say, listen, I can't say I just had a baby, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I can't say I just got married, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I can't say I'm in school, I'm studying to get my PhD, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I can't say I'm in the midst of a real uh, intense contract negotiation on my job, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I can't say I've just been diagnosed with diabetes or cancer, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I cannot say I don't have any money, therefore I can't serve the Lord. I can't say I'm on a fixed income, Therefore, I can't serve the Lord. I cannot say I don't have anything to wear. Therefore, I can't serve the Lord. The Bible says, be fully. There is no legitimate excuse for not serving the Lord. Y'all all right? We are called to serve because the only way the world knows that you are a believer is not by how you pray. I w- Listen, before I was saved, I could pray pretty good. <laughs> I would say, yeah, it ain't how you pray. It's how you serve. Jesus said, let your light shine. That's your service. And so, God is calling us to serve. Real quick, just write these down. I can't fully explain them, but I want you to write these down real quick. There are five areas, five phases of service. First of all, there's the prayer phase. The prayer phase is to get your heart right. Secondly, there's the preparation phase. You never launch out without preparing yourself. Amen. Preparation phase. Always figure out what do I need to do to prepare myself for what God is calling me to do. Number three, the partnership phase. Who is it that I'm going to invite to be alongside of me in the work that God has called me to do? If you notice in the Bible, there is nobody who serves by themselves. Everybody serves in partnership and in collaboration with somebody else. Number four, then there is the production phase. You got to stop praying about it. Come on now. Yeah, you got to stop picking people to be on the team. Sooner or later, you got to start doing whatever it is. You know, it don't make sense to have a ministry. We've been in this, in this ministry, and the ministry don't ever get around to doing what the ministry is supposed to be doing. And then finally, there is the perusal phase. That's when we examine to see that we, whether or not we're doing what we're called 
what we are called to do. So be fully engaged. Maintain your service to the risen Savior. And then finally, you want to maintain your confidence in God's rewards. And I say that because serving God is difficult. Yeah. Yeah, we went through a phase in the Christian church where we promised everybody a Bentley with the insurance paid if you served God. But the truth is, serving God is difficult. And you must be faithful. And you must believe that God will reward your faithfulness. Can I get a witness? In other words, you may not receive what you want to receive from other people. You may not even be the beneficiary of the work that you have done. But you must believe that God will reward you for serving him. I wish I had somebody to say amen. In other words, God will not forget Neither will God ignore what you have done for him. The Bible says, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I declare you might die and there may not be one certain certificate on your wall, not one plaque, one trophy, one mention of your name, but don't you think that God has forgotten about you? If you are faithful to God, I declare God will keep his promise. God will keep his promise. You must believe that God will reward you for your faithfulness. Let me close with this story. I have an aunt who has, her name is Katie, my Aunt Katie. My Aunt Katie has three children. The middle child's name is Barry. When Barry was born, he was born as a premature kid, and he was diagnosed with this condition called hydrocephalitis, is that correct? Hydrocephalus. That's what he was diagnosed. And, the, and he had a very large head, and the word hydrocephalus means water on the head. And so here was this baby that at birth, the doctors said that Barry would not live beyond two years. And so Barry had numerous surgeries. He had tubes put in his head and all kinds of stuff. While the prophecy was on his life that you won't live, why have the surgery? Why have tubes in stuff when you're not going to live beyond two years? But my aunt said, do the surgery. She did the surgery and fooled around and Barry was around for his third birthday. 
And Barry, Barry kept on beating the doctor's prophetic pronouncements upon his life. I'm trying to speak to somebody in here. I tell you, folks going to tell you that you're not gonna make it and what you're doing does not matter and all of your work is in vain and you ought to just cut the cord and you ought to just give up on them but my aunt through all of that stayed right by that hydrocephalic little boy I mean folks picked on him all the time I'm not talking about folks out in the street his own cousins and first cousins talked about it wouldn't let him play basketball and football or pushed him out let me tell you what happened fool around some of us who picked on Barry in prison listen some of us picked on Barry unemployed here is Barry 49 years later with a big old head got the nerve to have a job can I get some here he is Barry 49 years later, got the nerve to come home and be with his mom on Mother's Day. I'm just trying to say, all your hard work, all of your toil, all your investment, all your sacrifice, all your prayers, all your staying up late at night, all your being by yourself in your situation, don't you ever think that God has forgotten weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning God will remember God will remember God will remember and when you serve God doesn't matter where it is it's going to get difficult can I get some help it's going to get challenging, but you remain faithful. Stand firm. Don't be moved. And God will honor your faithfulness in your life. Come on, stand on your feet.